You see, as Nehemiah was obedient to do what God had told him to do, through his vision casting, through his leadership, the walls were not only rebuilt in record time, but the whole city became revitalized. People began to move back to the city. The people began to cry out to God. They wanted to hear God's word again. They renewed their relationship with God. Everything changed because one man was obedient to what God had asked him to do. And Nehemiah is a wonderful story that mirrors how God can use anybody that just says yes to him. Anybody that is willing to be obedient to him. But it's also a wonderful analogy of what happens in our lives. Like the exiled Israelites, you and I started out in a place of slavery. At one time, you and I were separated from God because of our sin. And the consequences of our sin allowed us to to keep walking away from God. But God had a plan and God had a purpose and He pursued you. And He sought you out and He redeemed you. And because of His redemption, you have been revitalized. You have been renewed, just like the city of Jerusalem. And because of that renewal and because of that revitalization that takes place in our heart, the only response, the proper response to that action is worship. It's praising God, giving glory and honor to the one who has taken our life that had no purpose and bring it to purpose. It always brings us to a place of thanksgiving. And you see, while the walls where we ended had been rebuilt and people were moving back and commerce had begun to grow, the job wasn't done. They had one thing left to do, and that was to celebrate what God was doing. And so in Nehemiah chapter 12, we find a very interesting story of the rededication ceremony that takes place for the wall. I'm going to butcher a bunch of Hebrew names or try to not butcher a bunch of Hebrew names, but I want you to get past all that and in your mind's eye, Picture this rebuilt wall for 170 years. It had been gone. It had been destroyed. And now it's back. And people are moving in. And people are excited. And there are thousands of people that have gathered in the city to celebrate what God's doing. Now listen to the story. I'm going to read Nehemiah chapter 12, starting in verse 27. It said, At the dedication of the wall of Jerusalem, the Levites were sought out from where they lived and brought to Jerusalem to celebrate joyfully the dedication with songs of thanksgiving and with music of cymbals and harps and lyres. And the singers also were brought together from regions around Jerusalem. Together from all over, they came from their villages to celebrate. Now I'm not going to read the different villages. For the singers had built villages outside, but now they came inside to celebrate with the people of Jerusalem. And when the priests and the Levites had purified themselves ceremoniously, they purified the people and they purified the gates and they purified the wall. That means they cast oil on it to say, this is set apart now for God. This is not what it used to be. It's changed now. And they purified them. And then Nehemiah says, I had the leaders of Judah go up on the top of the wall and I assigned two large choirs to give thanks. One proceeded to the top of the wall on the right towards the dung gate. Hoshiah and a half the leaders of Judah followed him along with different leadership and as well as the priest and the trumpets and also Zechariah, the son of Jonathan and the son of Shemaiah, the son of Mattani, the son of Micah. They all gathered together with musical instruments prescribed by David, the man of God. And then Ezra the scribe led the procession. And at the fountain gate, they continued directly up the steps of the city of David on the ascent to the wall and passed above the house of David to the water gate on the east. 
And then the second choir proceeded in the opposite direction, and I followed them on top of the wall. And together with half the people, we passed the tower of the ovens of bread and the bread wall, and over the gate of Ephraim, and over the Jeshaniah gate, and the fish gate, and the tower of Hanal, and the tower of the hundred. All these things that have been rebuilt, they're dedicating it as they go. And at the gate of the guards, we stopped. And the two choirs came together and gave thanks and took their place in the house of God. And so did I, together with the officials, as well as with the priests. And the choir sang under the direction of Jezaniah, and on that day they offered great sacrifices with their voices, rejoicing because God had given them a new joy. And the women and children also rejoiced, and the sound of the rejoicing in Jerusalem could be heard from far away. Now, I know it doesn't come off the page, but I want you to imagine, here is this city that had been in rubble and in ruin that God had rebuilt The city of God that represented who he was, that held his temple where he resided. And now it is all reestablished. And so you've got this group of thousands of people and you've got two choirs. And one choir is starting up and walking this way on the wall and they're singing as they go. And another choir is walking and singing as they go. You can hear them say, give thanks to the Lord. Our God is good. His love endures forever. And they're answering and singing back and forth. You've got people blowing trumpets and they're clanging cymbals and they're banging tambourines. And everybody begins to get caught up in this worship. All different people from all different tribes. People with different gifts and different talents. Some leading, some singing, some playing their instruments that they're gifted with. And they're all singing to the Lord with joy. And it said they were so loud. The singing was so joyous that you could hear it far away in the other cities. You see, I think that gives us a glimpse of what heaven looks like right now. Because John's vision in Revelation chapter 4 said around the throne of God, there are peals of lightning and thunder and rumblings. And all of the saints of God, those who have gone before us, are gathered around the throne of God and they are shouting and singing and giving worship and glory and honor to God. And I think that's kind of what it was like there in Jerusalem in Nehemiah's day. And I also believe it's what it's supposed to be like when the people of God gather together. That's exactly how it's supposed to be when we come together in church or in worship on Sundays. Have you ever wondered why we spend so much time in our worship services singing? You ever thought about it? In all of our worship services, most worship services in Protestant churches, we spend half to a third of our time singing songs. Have you ever thought about that? What if you were somebody from outside the church and, and you came and, and you sat in on a worship service and you heard us singing? You, can you imagine what they would think? Now, everything we do in here with our lives is worship. The word worship means to show honor, to give worth. And everything we do is geared towards worship. But when you say worship, people think about singing. But worship is taking the offering, it's praying, it's walking in and greeting one another, it's coming together one to another. All of that is worship. But why do we sing so much? Why is it so important that we dedicate this time to sing? Well, I'm going to answer that question for you very simply this morning. The first reason we sing is because it's what you and I were created to do. 
The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 11 and 12, In Him, in Christ, we were chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of Him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of His will, God's will. Why were we saved? Why were we redeemed? Why? In order that we who are the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of His glory. You see, you and I, when we were created, when God created man in the garden, He created man to be a reflection of God, to sing and to praise and to worship God. But when we sinned, sin stole our song. It took that song that was in our heart that God had given us to sing back to Him away from us. And we started singing a different song. We started singing a song about us and how we are and who we are and what we want and all of those selfish things that pride brings. But when you get redeemed, when you become a follower of Christ, the Bible says God puts a new song in your heart. You're restored to that place where you were in the garden. You were created to sing praises to God. Psalms 43 says, God put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise so that I might worship God. And our worshiping of God now that we are Christ followers is all about Him. See, before the song we sang, the song that sin corrupted us with was about us. But as followers of Jesus Christ, my song is not about what I like or what I want or what I desire. It's not based on circumstances. I don't sing because I feel like it. I don't sing because I know the words. I don't sing because it's my favorite song. I don't sing because it's easy. I sing because it's who I was created to be. And when I don't sing, what I am doing is I am pushing down the very nature of God that has been given into my heart. God put a new song in your heart. I think it's amazing at what the enemy has done in the last 25 and 30 years to destroy and split and disrupt churches over the issue of worship. See, what he's done is he's tempted us to go back to that corrupted song that was about us. And so now we come to church and we sing only if it's what we like, how we like it, when we like it, where we like it, and and what we like. We've made it about us instead of Him. I wonder how much it breaks God's heart to look at the church and to see churches destroyed and disrupted and taken off task. Not because we're arguing and fighting over theology. Not because we're arguing and fighting over the truth of the Word of God. We're arguing and fighting over how we are supposed to worship and do what we were created to do. You don't think it breaks God's heart? Instead of arguing about the style and arguing about how we sing and what instruments to sing, we need to be focused on who we're singing about. So many in the church today have lost focus of what the foundation of worship is. You see, you can't worship until you understand what Paul said in Galatians 2. For I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live. Christ now lives in me. We learned in in Romans chapter 12. That I offer my bodies as what? A living sacrifice. When you become a sacrifice, when you say, I no longer live, that means what I want, what I like, what I desire is no longer important. And when we come to church, more concerned about what we want and what we desire and what we like, it breaks a holy God's heart. 
It speaks to the testimony of the spiritual immaturity and the selfishness of the modern church. I hear people say, well, pastor, I'm not a singer or I don't like to sing. So that's why I don't sing. I've got bad news for you. If you're a follower of Christ and that's your attitude, then that means you might need to decrease so he can increase because you've got a Holy Spirit inside of you that has a new song and he wants to get it out. You might need to get out of the way. We were created and redeemed to give glory and honor and worship to God. Why do we sing? Because it's who we are. It's what we were created to do. It's what you were redeemed to do. So it's important. But not only do we do it because it's who we are and because we were created to do it, but secondly, we are commanded to do it. You see, for someone who is a Christ follower, singing about God and the praises and the thanksgiving and the offering we offer of our hearts and our voices to God is like breathing air. You can't grow. You can't become deep in a relationship with God if you can't practice singing His praises. Not just in here, at home and when you're alone and when you're in prayer. Songs and singing is like air. It revitalizes us. It gives us a new, fresh birth. We are commanded to sing. Listen to what the Bible says. And I I could give you a hundred verses, but I just picked out a few. Colossians chapter 3, verse 16. Let the word of Christ dwell richly in you as you teach and admonish each other with all wisdom. And as you sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitude in your heart to God. Paul says in Ephesians 5.19, Speak to one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Hebrews 2.12 says, I will declare your name to my brothers, where in the presence of the congregation I will sing your praises. Psalms 95.1 says, Come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before Him with thanksgiving and extol Him. Worship with what? Music and song. Psalm 72.23 says, My lips will shout for joy when I sing my praises to you, I who you have redeemed. Psalms 101, For I will sing of your love and justice. O you, O Lord, I will forever sing. See, you and I are not just created to sing. God commands us to sing. You say, okay, pastor, I I get it. I'm supposed to sing, but I just don't like those old hymns. They're just slow, and and they sound like they're written in another language, and it's just not what I grew up with. Or, okay, pastor, I I know I'm supposed to sing, but, you know, we put the words up on the screen, and that's not just what I'm used to. And these new choruses, I don't know how to sing them, and I don't know what the words are. Psalms 96.1 says, Sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord. Praise His name. Proclaim His salvation day after day. Psalms 98.1. Sing to the Lord a new song, for He has done marvelous things. Psalms 149.1. Praise to the Lord. Sing to the Lord a new song. His praises in the assembly of the saints. Now let me ask you this. I know sometimes it's difficult when you are learning a new song and our first tendency is to just shut down. But have you ever considered that the reason God is trying to teach you a new song is because maybe He wants to do something new in your life? 
Maybe God wants you to discover something new about Him that you've never experienced. Maybe God is wanting to show you something new about your own heart, and so He is wanting to put a new song in your heart. The Bible clearly commands us to sing songs, hymns, spiritual songs, and to sing a new song every once in a while. Say, okay, okay, pastor, now you've moved from preaching to meddling, right? I'm not done. You say, oh, well, pastor, I, I got it. I'm trying. I, I, I give it everything I've got, but, but I just can't sing. What about these instruments? Right? I mean, what are guitars and drums and they're over here shaking something? Piano. I mean, right? If the organ was good enough for King James, it's good enough for me, right? <laughs> Psalms 98.4 says, Shout to the joy with the Lord all the earth. Burst. Overwhelming. Burst into jubilant song with music. Make music to the Lord with the harp. And with a harp and the sound of singing, with trumpets and the blast of a ram's horn, shout for joy before the Lord our King. Let me tell you something. A ram's horn has nothing on a set of drums. <laughs> Psalms 150, and this is the, the wayward psalm. It is the psalm we don't talk about in church. We end, it's the last psalms in the book of Psalms, and we like to end with 149 because 150 makes us feel uncomfortable. The psalmist writes, praise the Lord, praise Him in the sanctuary, praise Him in the mighty heavens, praise Him for His acts of power, praise Him for His surpassing greatness, praise Him with the sounding of a trumpet, praise Him with the harp and the lyre, praise Him with the tambourine and dancing, praise Him with stringed instruments and the flute, praise Him with a clash of cymbals, praise Him with resounding cymbals. That's not just one cymbal, that's not just banging it, that's banging it and banging it and banging it. Why? Because He is our God, He is our Creator, and He is worthy of it and your body cries out for it your soul and your spirit cries out for it when we repress it when we fight it you're fighting your very nature let me ask you this tough question have you ever considered that when we refuse to sing or maybe we don't refuse we just kind of cross our arms and move our lips and go through the motions or when we skip the song service altogether, you know, some people like to do that. I don't like this, so I'm just, I'm going to skip and I'll come in when the preaching starts. Have you ever considered that when we do that, you are in direct disobedience to a holy God? If He commands us to sing, if He puts a new song in our heart, if He says, this is who you are, this is why you are redeemed, and I command you to do it, when we don't do it, are we being disobedient? How in the world can we ever expect us to come in for the first 30 minutes of a worship time and, and ignore God and be disobedient to God and then in the second 30 minutes expect Him to bless us and teach us and help us to learn? It's not going to happen. God's looking for open and obedient hearts, not rebellious hearts. I think there's going to be some interesting conversations in heaven one day. I know, God, that song, How Great Thou Art, it's about you, and, 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 you know, and it's an oldie but a goodie, but it's just so slow, and I just can't sing it. 
I know, God, we, we sing this song that's right out of Scripture. It's right out of the Psalms. And, and, and it reminds us of who you are. Your love never fails. It never gives up. It never runs out on me. But do we have to sing it seven times, Lord? Maybe it's because God knew your heart was so hard that it was going to take seven times to sing it for you to get through. Maybe God knew that this week you were going to struggle with knowing that God's love never fails, it never gives up, and it never runs out on you. And it was going to take seven times to sing it that Sunday for it to get through your heart so that on Thursday when you are ready to give up, the words of the Lord come rushing back to you. I wonder what a holy God thinks when we demean and make fun of and put down and mock and denigrate songs that are about Him. Just because we don't like how they're sung, just because we don't like when they're sung, or the instruments that we use to sing them. And we do it so spiritually, don't we? It's just not reverent, Pastor. Just not the way it's supposed to be in church. When I told you about the history of the Baptist church... It wasn't until the 1950s that we got uppity. Talk to some of your grandparents if they grew up in a Baptist church and ask them about their worship services. Ask them what they did. See, they preached for an hour and a half after they sung for two hours. Don't believe me? Go look at the history books. Ask your grandparents. And they didn't have hymnals. So they sang the songs that they knew and they clapped and they stomped their feet and some people got around and danced. And if you were lucky to have somebody that played the guitar or played the fiddle or played the drums or had an instrument in their house, they would come and go and it may have been out of tune. It may not have been working, but they worshiped. Why? Because it wasn't about them and what they wanted or where they wanted. It was about God and what he's done. And you and I have got to get back to that. And let me just warn some of you. Some of you will never get past your hang-ups on worship until you stop just tolerating what is different and start celebrating what is different. See, we come to church and say, okay, pastor, I'll tolerate that music, but I don't like it. Don't come. You know why? Because God's more concerned about your heart than your physical body sitting there. And you're doing him a disservice and being dishonest to yourself when you come simply tolerating instead of celebrating. We should celebrate our diversity. We should celebrate that we sing all different songs, all kinds of ways, with one focus, God. See, let me let you in on a little secret I've learned the hard way in my life. I don't have to like something when God commands me to do it. Matter of fact, there's a lot of things that God commands me to do that I don't like. God says, forgive that person that's hurt you. God, I don't want to forgive that person. Love that person that's been mean to you and critical to you. You love on them. God, I don't want to love on them. But me not liking what he asked me to do, me not wanting to do what he asked me to do, is not an excuse to not do it. And what I've discovered is many times it's the very thing that God commands me to do that I am uncomfortable doing, that I don't want to do, that I don't like to do, that when I do it, I grow more like Jesus. 
and I learn more about who He is, and I grow deeper in my walk with Him. I wonder how many people in the church today are missing some incredible blessings, some deeper walks with the Lord, because they're telling God no when it comes to their voice. We've got to move beyond it. We were created for it. We are commanded to do it. Before I give you the last point, I just want to share with you why we do what we do here. Let you know how a sausage is made. Why why do we do what we do? Why is our order the way it is? See, I believe that worship should be structured much like what the Old Testament temple worship was structured. Not because we have to, not because it's the law, but God spent a lot of time in detail telling them how to build that temple. And I think it's important, and it works. And so we structure our worship service the same way. We come in from the outer courts and you're thinking about everything that's going on and and yesterday and seeing new friends and who's wearing what. Your kids are running wild and you're worried and you're stressed. And so you come in from the outer gates and we usually start with an upbeat song to begin to get you focused. And then we move you to the inner courts and we begin to talk about the holiness of God and the righteousness of God. And then our goal is to move you to a place, the holy of holies, where you're not just singing about God and talking about God and thinking about God. You are experiencing His very presence. Our whole goal is that we create an atmosphere in here where you can experience God. It's not about emotionalism or external things. It's about your heart. See, I believe there's a time to shout and there's a time to be silent and there's a time to weep and there's a time to be reverent. And we move in our process. And several years ago, God began to convict me and started working on my heart about this idea of a contemporary service and a traditional service. We had one for eight, nine years of my ministry here, the first eight or nine years. And saying contemporary and saying traditional, those are loaded terms because those mean different things to everybody in here. Because when we had a traditional service, it wasn't really traditional to some people. And when we had a contemporary service, it wasn't really contemporary to some people. It's just what we called it. But the Holy Spirit began to convict me that we were focusing too much time and too much emphasis on the wrong things. In John chapter 4, Jesus is talking to the Samaritan woman, the the woman at the well, and they're arguing, who worships better? Those who worship in Jerusalem or those who worship on this hill? How do we worship? Is Is it important this way or is it important that way? And he says this incredible statement, for a time is coming and yet even now has come when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For those are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshipers must worship in spirit and truth. He didn't say God is is a spirit and we've got to worship contemporarily or traditionally or with this instrument or with that song. He said spirit and truth. So last year we dropped all of those designations. And when people say, what is it like at First Baptist? Their focus is spirit and truth. We're going to do everything we can to be built around the truth of the word of God because the Bible says the truth is what sets us free. The truth is what changes lives. So we're going to focus on the truth, but we're also going to focus on the Spirit. And we do that through our worship by allowing the Holy Spirit the freedom to move and let that song that God put in my heart come out. And so we become Spirit and truth. 
Not focused on the instruments, not focused on the styles, not focused on how, but creating an atmosphere where you cannot just be a spectator, you have to be engaged. Now we realized when we began to do that, that one of the problems in doing that is we would be introducing a whole bunch of new songs to new people. To those in the contemporary service, we were introducing some new hymns that they may not ever have heard. To those that were in the traditional service, we were going to be interesting new courses that some of them had never heard. And I recognize as I prayed through that, that it's hard that if you don't know the songs, if you haven't planted them in your heart, you can't be engaged. That's why those of you that grew up singing hymns, you love hymns. And that's okay. Why? Because you learn the words to them. And they're in your heart. You don't have to read. You can worship to them. And those of you that grew up singing choruses, you've learned it. You know the rhythm. You know how you do it. And so it's become a part of your heart. So how are we going to overcome that to allow everyone an opportunity to be engaged in singing? So here's what we do every year. We pick out 150 songs or less. And in that 150 songs, we decide those are the only songs that we're going to sing in our church. Most of them are songs that we've sung before. Matter of fact, out of that 150, usually 135 to 140 are songs that we've done. We introduce new songs because the Bible says, sing to me a new song. But we won't introduce more than 10 new songs. And usually when we do it, we'll do it two weeks in a row or three weeks in a row. Why? Because I want you to learn it. You see, our goal in doing these songs is to help you begin to eternalize it, to allow these things to come a part of your heart. And I don't pick the songs according to what I like. I pick them according to what I'm going to be preaching and the themes that we're going to be talking about. And I also pick them according to what the Holy Spirit lays on my heart. I can't tell you how many times the Holy Spirit's led me to pick a song, a song I don't like, or a song that we just sang, because I believe God knows a person was going to be there that Sunday that needed to hear that song. That's how important it is. Matter of fact, I've been more convicted about singing a particular song on a Sunday than I have what I was going to preach. That's how important it is to God. And so what we do is we take that 150 songs and we pray over it and we, we work and I get with Sid and he talks about how it flows and how we can engage people, how we can move people from the outer courts to the inner courts to the Holy of Holies through everything that we do. And we ended up with the songs that we sing here because I want you to learn them. Not just the words, not just the rhythm. I want you your heart to learn them. So let me give you a little test. If you've been here for a while, in 2017, last year, which was our first year to be together, all singing these songs, would you say that we have sung more choruses or more hymns? Now let me just warn you. If you like hymns, you're going to say we sang more choruses. If you like choruses, you're going to say we sang more hymns. Because whatever you like, you'll think we're not doing enough of it. So I went back and looked it up. I went and looked at all the orders of services for 2017. In 2017, we sang 110 different songs. And there were 258 opportunities to sing. If you looked at the orders, all the orders, and added it up, there were 258 opportunities to sing in our worship services. 110 songs is all we sang. 
Forty-eight of those songs were choruses, 62 of them were hymns. Of those 258 times that we sang, 118 times we sang a chorus, and 140 times we sang a hymn. I see those of you that like choruses are going, no way. Those of you that like hymns are going, no way. So why did I include that? Because I want you to understand, when we put together what God is doing in this church on Sunday mornings, we don't say, let's add a hymn here, let's add a chorus here, let's add two more, we've got to sing one hymn, we've got to sing one chorus. We say, what does the Lord want us to worship to this morning? We sing because we were created to. We sing because we are commanded to. And lastly, we sing before it because it's good for us. Not only were you commanded to, not only were you created to sing, we sing because it's good for us. Why is it good for us? First of all, singing is the best thing you can do to help you remember things. When your kids, you're trying to get them to remember things, what do you do? You teach them a song, don't you? How many of you learned your ABCs by singing a song? How many of you still sing your ABCs when you're trying to figure what letter comes before each other? You do, don't you? When I grew up in the 70s, they had Schoolhouse Rock. I learned science and grammar and math and history from Schoolhouse Rock. Matter of fact, I had a tough time in eighth grade. We had to recite the preamble. It was tough because almost everyone in my class sang it. We the people in order to form a more perfect. That's what we learned, Schoolhouse Rock. And I still remember those things because you see, when you learn something in a song, it plants in your heart. And if we want to learn things about God, if we want to learn attributes about God and characteristics about God, the greatest way for us to do that is to teach it in a song. Because we remember songs long after we've forgotten everything else. Maybe you've seen some of the videos that are going around on the internet. People that have dementia or Alzheimer's. Don't remember anybody. Don't remember who they are. Don't remember their name. Don't remember why they're there. And somebody, a caregiver, a family member will sit down with them and start singing a hymn. And that person that couldn't remember anything else begins to sing the words of that hymn to them. Why? Because when you've got nothing else, God's Word gets planted in your heart. It comes out. How many times have you been in the middle of the week and, and, and you thought, I can't go on and I'm so discouraged and, and I'm beat up and I'm beat down and all of a sudden the words to a song, oh, the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God. And it begins to overwhelm you. Oh, Lord, my God, when I in awesome wonder consider all the worlds thy hands have made. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, it is well. It is well with my soul. You see, we sing because it's good for us. Because it helps us to remember who God is and what He's done. But not just because it's good for us. We sing because it engages our emotions. It lets our heart and our mind connect. It engages us. See, we're not just singing about what we know. We're singing about what we feel. We're singing about what God is doing, what God has done. 
We're singing because we feel a certain way about God. But maybe sometimes we sing and we don't feel that way about God, but we sing it anyway because we want to feel that way about God. It's easy to see somebody that sings with abandon. I love watching the little kids over here sing because they don't care what anybody thinks. Some of them will raise their hands and they're singing it loud and they're jumping around. And I've told you before, one of the greatest disservices we do is we try to tell them to stop. It's not how we act in church. When I think sometimes the Holy Spirit is looking at us and saying, stop. That's not how you act in church. That's how you act at a funeral. We're at a celebration. You see, what you and I need to understand, what you and I need to recognize is that there are going to be times when you struggle and all of us struggle, and there are going to be times when when you don't feel like singing, when you don't want to sing. Listen, there are times when I don't want to sing, and I don't feel like singing. I don't even know if I want to get up and preach. And I come in and I start singing, and I, I say, I don't want to sing the song, but I start singing it in that process of singing, in that process of saying, God, I know this is what you say about me and what you say about you, and I know this is your promise, but I just don't feel it right now. But I'm going to sing it anyway. In that process, God begins to change me and change how I feel what happens to David. Go read David's psalm. Psalm 63 is a perfect. David's saying, God, I'm all alone. No one cares. I'm downcast. I'm beaten up. Everybody's chasing me. All this stuff's going on. And he's singing the song. And about midway through, all of a sudden you see one line. But God is faithful. And he goes back. But God, I'm still struggling. And God, I'm still alone. But God will always protect me. God is my refuge and my strength. God is my ever-present help in times of trouble. And he started out saying, that's not how I feel. That's not what's going on in my heart. And by the time he got to the end of the song, his heart had changed. You see, what I'm saying is sometimes you sing because that's how you feel. But sometimes you need to sing because that's how you need to feel. You and I need to recognize we were created to sing. We're commanded to sing, and it's good for us. And so we're going to end the service by practicing, applying what I just talked about. And so as the worship team comes up, I want to take close with a story that a pastor told. I heard a pastor tell this story at a conference one time. He said he was at a church service. He's sitting on the front row, and he's visiting with other pastors, and as he's sitting there, they begin to sing just as I am. Most of you that grew up in church, you know just as I am. And they're standing there singing, and he said directly behind him was a man that was horribly, horribly off-key. I, I wonder, it might have been me. I didn't know if I went to the conference. But he, but he was hoarse, and, and he was off-key, and, and it was loud, and it was obvious in the church. And he was sitting there cringing every time the man would sing part of that song. And he said, mercifully, in between the third and the fourth verse, the pianist played an interlude where there was no... Singing, she just played. And it was during that interlude that the man behind him reached up and touched him on the shoulder and said, excuse me, could you just tell me the words to the first part of the next stanza? Can you, can you just, if you'll just tell me the words to the first part, then I think I can get it. And the man, the pastor says, he turned around and looked at the man. He recognized that the man was blind. And he read these words to the next stanza to the blind man just as I am poor wretched blind 
sight, riches, healing of mind. Yea, all that I need in thee I find. Just as I am, I come. When they began to sing that last stanza, the man said he no longer heard off-key, hoarse voice. He heard a man talking to God and God talking back. Would you stand and worship with us?